life, whether we like it or not, happens to everyone. We don't get to choose our testimony, but we are called to share the journey. Hi, everybody. I'm BJ Foster, and this is Withholding Nothing, a podcast for the soul. Let's do this thing. Hello, everybody. In this week's episode, you are simply getting a podcast interview with moi, BJ Foster. I say it that way because I have been sick for the last week with a stomach flu or food poisoning or something of that nature. So honestly, I just have not had it in me to edit a new episode of Withholding Nothing, a podcast for the soul. So I thank you to my friend, Michael P. Lovett, for allowing me to air an episode from his podcast. Enjoy. to the Man in Many Roles podcast. This is your host, Michael Lovett, and today I am very, very excited to spend time with one of my new favorite people, B.J. Foster. I just want everyone to get an opportunity to listen to her stories and listen to how she has worked so hard to live well in her many roles. B.J. is not just a minister, not just a, a mother and a friend and a sister in Christ. She's also Uh, a woman of color. She's one of my, I see people of color as a resource to me. As a white man, I need to be open and honest about what I don't know. And I need to be open and honest about what I'm willing to do. And I need to be willing to listen and be disrupted by the stories of people that have had very different experiences than me. So with that, BJ, I'm so excited to have you on the show and so grateful for your new book, Rebound. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. I'm, just, I'm excited to be here. Really excited to be a part of it. Great. Tell me a little more about why you're excited today. What's getting you jazzy and excited about being here? <laughs> well, one, you have an audience primarily of men. And how often do we have the opportunity? <laughs> right. You know, it, it's one of those things. It's, it would be a missed opportunity not to accept it. So I'm excited to be able to share with the audience, whomever is listening, especially the woman perspective, the black woman perspective, the black woman in ministry perspective. You know, you talk about the, all the different roles. There's so many different hats for us to discuss today. So excited. Yeah. And how often do white men get to hear a black female (laughs) minister's perspective? I mean, the, the originality of what I'm trying to bring here is just, no. You're genius. Like, like we prayed before this podcast, BJ, it's not about us. I just want right. to let your story really shine. Um, the first theme you offered to talk about was this idea that in living well in all of our roles, mm-hmm. it's going to take up boatload of work. And last year was really an important year for you. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about last year mm-hmm. and how that relates to living well in many roles and living well as a black woman minister in many roles. And I right. know that you have a lot to say on this because you wrote a whole book about it. <laughs> 
Yeah, actually, it started before a year ago. It just happened to come out at the end of last year. Um, okay. You know, I've been I've been in the kingdom. I've been a Christian for thirty plus years, mm-hmm. and twenty six of those I've been in the ministry, leading God's people, which has been amazing. But what I learned along the way is you start to shut down different parts of yourself. For every hit that I went through in life, um, whether it was the loss of a child, th- different things that are in the book, the loss of a child, the loss of a marriage before I became a Christian, uh, losing jobs. There's so many hits that you take along the way that you figure out as a smart person how to keep going. But the goal for God is not for me to just keep going. Mm-hmm. That's what I discovered was that I still was wearing the various hats of all the different roles, but I was no longer wearing them well because I was no longer walking in alignment with God. I was wow. simply, simply surviving. I was, you know, I, I, I don't even know if I mentioned this in the book, but another minister used to say, no one perseveres like BJ. And I was so proud of that. I was like, yes, no one perseveres like me. <laughs> Until God taught me that it wasn't persevering that I was doing at all. I was simply holding my breath, waiting for that disastrous moment to pass. Jeez. Wow. Let me paraphrase a little bit of what you just said. You said you've been in the kingdom 30 years, serving in the ministry over 25, Mm -hmm. and you progressively shut down more parts of yourself. Yes. Yes. You talked about hits that you take and this idea of God designed us to figure out how to survive. So we learn to avoid danger and you figure out how to keep going. But that is not at all nowhere near the goal of healthy Christianity. That's not Jesus didn't say I came to bring life to the bare (laughs) minimum. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. You didn't say that. So this protracted holding your breath. What mm-hmm. what were some of the effects of that living constantly holding your breath waiting for the other shoe to drop? You know, it's a it's it's oh, it's horrible. It's a shutdown that takes place first inside of your heart. You start protecting yourself, like you say. You're waiting for the shoe to drop. You know that shoe is going to be painful, so you just kind of uh. build a, a little wall up around your heart. First, it's a small veneer, and then it gets thicker and thicker and thicker. And I found myself just slowly but surely pulling back. I am a storyteller by nature. I'm an actress, I'm a singer, so I'm very much a storyteller. When I came into the kingdom of God, preaching the word, I'm a storyteller, but I found myself moving further and further into the background, blending into the woodworks. And it was, again, a protection. Now, I am an introvert, but... When God speaks through me, I have a lot to say, and then it's hard to shut me up. <laughs> that's Great. how I knew. That's how I knew God was no longer speaking through me. Oh. And it, it wasn't God, because God is the same today, every day, forever. It was me. So mm. I had to look at that and go, if God hasn't changed, then BJ has changed. What is it in BJ that now makes it okay for her to sit back? and say nothing feel everything but say nothing Mm. yeah you you talked about that in your book the idea of being selectively mute at times as an act of control yeah um 
what was the effect of that? Like choosing to shut it down, choosing to be quiet um, in relationship to this. What, what did that do to you and your relationships over as you reflected on your life and writing the book? All of my, my relationships started to reflect my relationship with God. I was present, uh, but I was not present. I would give to you, but I wasn't giving you my heart. I would serve you, but I wasn't, I wasn't serving with all of me. So again, you, you had this shell of a person still doing things, incredible things, things that she even was praised for doing. That's the, that's the thing. When God gifts you with various gifts, you, you can do things that seems effortless to some mm-hmm. others. But yeah. to God, he knows that you're not doing it the way that he's called you to do it. So it, it's the equivalent of me bearing the, my talents. It doesn't matter if somebody else thinks it's great. To God, I just buried my talent because I'm not giving all of me. Wow. That's a powerful image of, and we talked about this when we were setting up the podcast, integrity. Right. Yeah. Integrity is being whole and holy and accepting oneself and accepting how great God is. And you spent a long time negotiating and getting okay <laughs> with who you are. And, right. you know, um, so integrity is a really important value to you. It is. I, and I had to fight that battle. I really yeah. had to fight that battle. My whole career has been a battle of integrity whether it's in the music Mm -hmm. industry, in the acting industry, I kept all the decisions and choices I was making was based on integrity. And then I found myself in God's church losing integrity. What? Yeah. I didn't know how to, you know, I didn't know what to do with that. So I had to, I had to kind of go into my man cave or my woman cave (laughs) and figure out some things. So that's really my own personal sabbatical was taking time to, I had to stop ministering to other people, not literally, I still did, but I needed to sit and with, sit with God and just hear God speaking and ministering to me. And that's something I think we rarely do as ministers. And, and I, it's a cautionary tale in, in the sense that we can get so busy taking care of everyone else that before you know it, you're completely depleted yourself and unaware of it. Man, that is good. I hope people in the ministry get to hear you speak on the book at your virtual book tours. And I hope a couple of ministers that are friends of mine might get to hear this. But really, it's anybody, anybody that's living in a service role. It could be right. teachers, it could yeah. be ministers, it could be... Uh, even city politicians or, you know, board members. Right. Why do you think it's so hard to sit in solitude, silence, and stillness and wait for God to show up? Why is that so hard, BJ? (laughs) We're doers by nature. I think a lot of us are raised to, and like you said, this is not just ministers. It's anyone in some kind of a position of authority. You're raised to that position because of your ability to do, to make things happen. Um, you're, judged, you're judged on that. You are criticized based on that. So it becomes a rat race of just yeah. trying to maintain what it is 
that is expected of you. And it's so easy to be busy maintaining that you lose sight of what it is that you're actually maintaining, which mm-hmm. is your personal relationship with God. And it is, it's hard to just, it's hard to make the decision to step yourself out or step yourself down. It feels like you failed in some kind of way. You feel like you've quit in some kind of way. I didn't do either, but that is what you, you have to battle that, mm-hmm. that process of thinking and what other people may think. When I walked out of entertainment, I cannot tell you how many people said, why? Yeah. But you're so good. You know, so there's a battle, an internal battle going on. I needed to step out for very specific reasons. But if the world is telling me, but we love you and we need you, then you have to decide who am I going to listen to? Wow. Man, I just can't write it down fast enough. Because <laughs> what you're saying then is we're, ha- we're, we're in, when it comes to God, we're in a battle between maintaining mm-hmm. and truly relating in yeah. our integrity with God. Yes. Yes. We're wow. never out of position of transforming. My husband talks about we, yeah. God is calling us to a transformation. But so often we reach a status, whether, okay, I became a Christian. Okay, I became a, a relatively decent, strong Christian. And we just try to maintain that. And we're no longer transforming before God. Wow. And God yeah. is calling us to a great transformation. Yeah. And you know, BJ, as I think about, you and I are both part of the same church fellowship, right? Right, right. Started by men and women in their 20s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, thinking they're amazing for including a couple of 30-year-olds, maybe. Right. A couple of 40-year-olds. And they're just going to set the world on fire with do, do, do. Mm-hmm. To your point about where doers... And I would say not by nature, but by nurture. The world nurtures this concept of That's true. show up, perform, ratings, you know, grades. Right. right. So that's the, the high demand church ministry that we kind of landed in. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just felt a little bit like watered down and weak to talk about just being. being human, be a human being, mm-hmm. not a human doing. And so it's so uh, wonderful to look back on 30 years of Christianity and go, man, I'm so glad I'm not where I was. I mean, I was very happy to be buried with Christ, raised with Christ, forgiven. Here we go. Let's live a new life. And let's get fired up, you know. Uh, (laughs) But um now to move into a different place where we can reflect on 30 years and we can Mm -hmm. reflect on um good bad and ugly with god not with bitterness so that is my uh question how did you unpack all of this pain without getting bitter i read it throughout the book and you kept bringing it back to kind of each chapter starts with this story Right. And then you unpack the story for the lesson that it represents in your life. Right. And you went through some things and I'm going, yeah. how did she, why is she not walking around really bitter and bothered? How does that, <laughs> how did you do that? Well, 
to be honest, I've had bitter moments. So don't make me a saint because I'm not. Well, I just didn't read it in the book. And as I get to know him, like, how do you control for bitterness? You know, I know as we were talking a little bit earlier, I said nothing's ever wasted. And that Ah, is something, something that my mom has always said, baby, nothing's ever wasted. And so I grew up with that mindset. Now, I may not have, I may not like what I've gone through, but I have to look at it through the lens of, but I'm going through this for a reason. Whether it's something with entertainment, whether it's something that horrific that happened with me in the kingdom, everything I go through is for, is for a reason. So I have to look at that. And if I can take that and make it personal, it keeps me from turning it on someone else. You know, there's always another face you can attach to it. Um, I didn't get this job because so-and-so did this, or I tripped and fell because so-and-so. So you can always put someone else's face on it. Yeah. But for me personally, I just felt like God is not asking me to place someone else's face on it. Even if he used someone else, he wants me to turn that mirror around and go, but why did I let this happen to you? And if I can find the why, it takes the bitterness off of it. Mm. There's a quote uh, a friend of mine, Michael, says once. He says, you know, your sufferings are the breadcrumbs leading to your destiny. Say that again. Your sufferings are the breadcrumbs leading to your destiny. Oh, wow. So he said, follow the breadcrumbs of suffering. So that's what really, really, when you're reading the book, all you're doing is you're following my breadcrumbs of suffering. Mm, Got it. Because God is leading me. He was leading me to a destiny. He wasn't trying to stop me and hurt me along the way. Instead, they were droppings, breadcrumbs, to show me that I was on the road to something. (laughs) What a great way to recast the lousiest of times. (laughs) Oh, look, someone dropped the crouton. Oh, that's what that is. Oh, this one is garlic cheese crouton. <laughs> okay. it's, all, it's all perspective, right? Well, it is. And I guess my question then following up to the follow-up question is, how do you counsel people? How do you treat them or work with them to help them shift from they're not looking for the why, they're insisting on it. They're like, I need to... You know, right flipping now. I need to know what's going on and what, like right. that angry posturing. Right. How do you move them gently to see it more like breadcrumbs than opportunities to like get really ticked with God? Yeah. Yeah. How do you, how do you navigate that personally or how do you counsel others to live well in all of their roles as they're dealing with these temptations for bitterness? Right. right. Well, first, you, you, you know, you have to let people go through stuff. You know, I, I'm, I don't have a problem mm-hmm. with someone venting their frustrations. I, I vented mine. That's part of the process. But then it's always calling them back to, you, you know, we are called to be at, at one with God, atonement, at one with. So let's get out all of what it is that you're feeling. But in the end... We have to end it with being at one with God. So let's figure out what that looks like. So let's wow. say this person hurt you. Let's say you're angry. Let's say you're mad. Okay, let's let's talk about it. I feel that. I feel you. I've been there. Okay, now that you've gotten that out, how do we get back to being at one with God? 
Wow. And it usually changes. It, it, it again. It take. It's about taking the callus off of the heart, and the heart is only calloused because it's trying to protect itself. Hmm. So you're saying I should let people go for a while and get it all out and purge it. And right there, BJ, I think that's to some extent revolutionary. Again, back to our history and our, you know, fellowship of churches in our younger days, it was whether it was children, you need to get happy right now and have a happy heart or with older folks. Hey, man, that's pretty ungodly or that's pretty prideful, bro. You know, you need to turn it. And every sentence seemed to start with an open hand like this. And (laughs) you need to. Sadly. Yeah. Right. And we had these habits and these ways of relating that were not helpful. And now you're saying, no, 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 no. When people are having a moment, let them have their moment. And you're saying stay with them through the whole moment. Right. (laughs) Even through the ugly crying part and then coming out to. So how, how might we stay one with God? Right. And that's such a, what have you noticed is the effect on people when you stay through all the way through the beginning rant, the ugly crying, and then weeks mm-hmm. later, you're ready to ask that question. What has been some of the impact of just sitting with people in their pain? Well, it shows people that you care that you can relate to them, that you care, and that you're not just about the end result. You know, for any of us in any industry, if your boss is only about the end result, you know what that feels like. You may serve up the action that's needed, right? but there's no investment, no heart-to-heart investment. And that's what it is. We're, we've been calling Christians to the end result, but we haven't been walking with them, loving with them, even though when we went through and go through our stuff, that's what we're desiring. My husband calls it, he says, you know, it's behavior over savior. Whoa. We've we've preached behavior over the years. And if people, and people know it, people know that if I can behave the way that you want me to behave, I will be praised for it. I will be, you know, lifted up. So we have taught people to respond in just having a good behavior. Right. But meanwhile, all this other stuff is going on underneath it. And yep. what we're trying to do here is we're trying to call our brothers and sisters into a savior relationship. Yes, I feel this. Yes, I'm mad about this. Yes, this is ugly. And I'm going to travel through it, but I'm going to come out transformed on the other end at one with my savior. And I think that's something that we, honestly, I think it's something we've missed. Right. And even as you're sharing, and I kind of set that up, and today isn't about um, uh, criticism or accusation or shame or blame towards church or its leaders. But what I'm aware of, even as we talk it out, BJ, is that I do that at home. Yeah. You know, I do that with my kids, focus on behavior over savior. Right. It's just easy, right? The behavior is outward and easy to see. Yeah. Oh, that doesn't look good. Stop that. Yeah. Um, I had a friend that was on a Zoom call and his son came in without talking or asking. <laughs> and he was saying, hey, man, how you? I'm, on a, I'm on a call. And it turns out all the kid wanted to do is bring dad a sandwich or dinner. <laughs> it's like, we're yeah. like, oh, you know, we all gave yeah. him a hard time because we're like, man, you got on him. Right. But all he wanted to do is bring you a sandwich. 
I would love for you to connect a few dots. One is around tearing down versus building up. And the other is around, I would love to just let you share some experiences as not just a woman, but a black woman and not just a black woman, but a black woman in the ministry of a church that is predominantly white. So that's probably what the whole podcast should have been about, but we don't want to blow people's minds here. And you did write a, you did write a powerful book. So if there is, I'm going to throw it to you to just kind of riff. Uh, What would you have to say about building up and tearing down? Yeah, that's, that's so often, you know, um, it's awesome because there's so many different areas of my life in which that is just prevalent. Um, Mm. I I look at, I I know I've spoken to you before. I'm a student advocate. That's my title. Uh, I work with children in transition. I work with the students who, um, you know, they live in the motel sixes. They're living in poverty. They're living in some of the most dire situations. They are the families that are marginal marginalized by society. And um, these are the kids, the families I watch literally come to me already torn down. They already feel that they don't belong. They already feel that they don't fit in. And when God brings them to me, and I say it that way because I feel like this is a ministry God has handpicked and handed to me. Uh, when he brings these kids to me, they are looking, for, looking to me to build them up. And I realize the important, I think I realize it because of my own life story. Yeah, that I we went know. through. I went through and unpacked a few years ago. That was part of the process. God needed me to unpack that because he knew two years down the road, I was going to be working with these kids who needed someone to breathe life into their situation. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's really, it, it, it's sad. It's sad when I see people simply rip them down. You know, there are teachers. I love teachers. I feel like I'm a teacher at heart. But I don't think teaching in a, a Title I school is for everyone. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's incredibly hard. Yeah. yeah. You know, so for some, it's really difficult for them to work with these particular types of, uh, of students. And um, you can see the expectations are unreachable. You can see the, just the way in which they speak. It, it rips them apart as opposed to build them up. And... I just feel like that's what we have to be aware of and careful of in every walk of our lives is when someone comes to me, whether it's my child who's coming to me and saying, I I feel like I need to see a psychiatrist or some mental health going on. And if I don't come from that, then that can really wreck my world a little bit, you know? Right. I'm like, I I don't understand that. What do you mean? So, so often we build we treat others the way we think they should be treated, but it's all based on us rather than being based on them. And it ends up doing more damage than good. Even though we have the good intentions, it's doing more damage than good. My kids come to me basically without saying the words saying, see me. I'm invisible to the world. I need somebody to see me and you can't help me if you're not willing to see me. Oh, wow. This is so good. Yeah, we can't really say this message enough to our audience. It's if we're going to live well in our many roles, you just you just painted it in very uh, in detail. Mm-hmm. You did your work two years ago. You really unpacked who is BJ right. on an identity level, not a personality, not what 
you're showing the world or how you're showing up and all that outward behavior stuff. You sat with the Savior and spent some time unpacking, who am I? Right. Why am I so ticked off? <laughs> right. um, and then in this new ministry to the, the homeless, to mm -hmm. the kiddos that are in transition, they show up and without a word, you know that they just need to be seen. Right. Because you needed to be seen and you didn't right. let yourself be seen for decades. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. And so you're paying it forward. The beauty of being beheld, being witnessed right. by another person created by God is a really holy thing. Yeah. But I don't wow. know if you can pay it forward and, until you realize that exactly. you yourself have been there. So know? this goes back to what we were talking about before we hit record was you have to do the work. Right. There is yeah. no shortcut. There is no app. There is no subscription service like Netflix yes. that's going to do this for you. <laughs> yeah, there you've got to be willing. You've got to be willing to do way. the work. And the work is very painful. And a lot of times we do everything possible to avoid the pain. But right. pain, pain avoidance is cross avoidance. God called us to the cross. Right. So I can't avoid the pain. And what I love about what you said, BJ, is that you know, we can suspect that a kid or a loved one needs something. Mm -hmm. And if we have not done the work, this is so important. This is probably the best nugget of the podcast so far, <laughs> I think, is that if we don't do our work, we impose our self-righteous perspective right. as we attempt to meet needs. We have all good intentions. Right. And the impact is just this smashing down, condescension, dismissal. Yeah. Yes. Oh, you don't need that. Oh, no. You know, wow. So the impact is our motivation because we want to motivate, uh, impact people better. Right. But left to our own devices, left to what is easy, right. avoiding the pain leaves us to just reproduce patterns of relating terribly. Yes. And then those children we're raising in our home or that we're um, teaching in a classroom they internalize some really diabolical messages. Mm -hmm. And maybe the, the kids at a Title I school might think, well, school sucks. School isn't for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, or our children might think, well, okay, I just need to stuff it down because every time I bring up my mental health issue, my mom has no capacity for that. And she just tells right. me, no, no, you just need to, you know, eat more bananas or some, you know, <laughs> so silly. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I so appreciate that you're bringing this. And I guess as we pivot a little bit to what you know and what you have lived as a person of color and mm -hmm. as a woman in the ministry, I would just love to hear how have you seen people's baggage try to push you down? Yeah. Quiet you? Yeah. Um, what has been some of your experience with that? And what do you recommend both to the the men that might be listening and the women. Right. How do we, how do we navigate that BJ? Cause it's so complex, but in a few minutes, could you unpack what you've seen work and what you've seen really not work? <laughs> well, I, I think, um, actually, I think, I don't know who the author is white fragility. Author. Robin D'Angelo. Yeah. 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 I mean, I look at that and I know that we've had a lot of craziness transpire in the last year, year and a half. Um, but in, in lieu of the pushing down, what we don't understand, we push it away. 
And in, as far as race relationships go, it's really the same thing. If we don't understand it, we simply push it away and say it doesn't really exist. And we have to, in the church and outside of the church, be willing to give people a voice. You cannot tell me that racism, systemic racism, doesn't exist. Now, you may not have experienced it, but because I have, you have to at least be willing to listen to the fact that this is truly my reality. You know, and, and it's really what we're talking about with the kids. It's the same thing. If you cannot step into understanding, then you can never change the dialogue. I know what it's like to be on my honeymoon. I was pulled over and handcuffed by the police officer for jaywalking, even though there were 12 people that walked across the street. I was the only black face. I was the only one stopped. Oh, I was the only wow. one handcuffed. So you cannot tell me that there isn't something in that. Now you can easily go, well, you shouldn't have been jaywalking. I'm going true, but so were 11 other people. None of the other people literally put your hands up against the wall. I don't have my wallet with me and therefore I'm going to have to take you down. That did not happen to everyone else. No, it so didn't. Wow. It's, it's things like that where we have to really stop. We have to stop saying <clears throat> no to other people's experience just because it makes us uncomfortable. Mm. And I think even in, in, in God's church, you know, there, we shut down voices. My voice was shut down. And I, I don't blame church on my own shutdown. I blame that on myself. And I gotcha. think I mentioned this to you before, Martin Luther King's yeah. uh, quote. You know, men and women have to start standing up because a man can't ride your back unless it is bent. So that's I right. had to ask myself, what is it about you that's allowing yourself to be bent over so that someone can ride your back? Mm. And I think, I think shutdowns in God's churches, I, I don't think they're necessarily intentional. You know, we had some great-hearted 20-year-olds, like you mentioned, who started an incredible movement. They did. But it starts based on your understanding, you know? So if I'm coming from a Southern Baptist black church, my history is not going to be in that. And it's not that it's bad. You know, I, I have a certain kind of music that, I, that appeals to me. That's not going to be a part of the music that's going to be in their development because that's not their background. But I think with that, we have to understand that we have conversions from all denominations. Mm -hmm. And because of that, we have to be aware of their representation, whether it's in music, whether it's in preaching, whether it's in teaching. We have to make sure that our brothers and sisters across the globe can look up and identify somebody who represents them. And not just a token someone, but they need to know that this opportunity is available to me. That's why it's so important when we talk about entertainment that you see faces of color <laughs> on mm. the screen. Why we need to see that in order to know that I can do that too. And I think if, we, if we're not intentional about it, then we can simply reflect the world in God's church and not have, a, not have the reflection that the people need in order to be inspired. And when you're inspired, you will speak. When you're not inspired, you will shut down. Wow. Let that sit for just a second.
Yeah, you went on a on a nugget rampage right there. Sorry, you I'm a nugget. It was so good though, and the beauty of a podcast, BJ, is we can rewind it. Yes, exactly. So please rewind the past two minutes there because that was good, and I'll try to paraphrase what you said. You said, "What we don't understand, we push away." Mm-hmm. That's a reaction. That's mm-hmm. not a response, and it's not godly. Right. And it's not what we read Jesus doing. Right. So I want to mark that for anybody listening to the podcast in February, March, or April, or June, or December. The spirit of these holidays and these months is not tokenism. It's not to put up a tree for Christmas. That's not what Christmas is supposed to be celebrating. Right. It's not an Easter bunny at Easter. It's not jack-o'-lanterns at Halloween. And Black History Month and Women's History Month is so much more about what you are saying. It's invite what is unfamiliar and bring closer and gather what uh, is disruptive. Right. And take pride in being willing to be disrupted. Uh, So I'm finding myself uh, wanting to to preach it right now and go there. (laughs) Um, You said, listen, yeah, you said, listen to others' reality. You said there's no dialogue without listening or something to that effect. And you said, you can't say no just because you're uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, you cannot refuse to change a diaper simply because you don't like the stink of the diaper. So <laughs> but why so do often we... we do. <laughs> yeah, you can only wait so long, and then you see the rash on the baby's bottom, and you feel terrible. Like Exactly. So we're really causing a lot of discomfort if we are part of the, the dominant culture or if we're comfortable yeah. and not godly. Right. If comfort comes in, great. If you're being godly and you get a moment of comfort, well, that's lovely. Right. But we just don't read about a Jesus that was constantly comfortable. Yeah. In fact, he was intentionally disrupting things and getting blowback for exactly. it exactly. all the time. Mm-hmm. And then you went into don't blame others. You can't be ridden unless your back is bent. You can't be taken advantage of if you're standing up straight. And, you know, this idea of making sure it's not just tokenism, but there's real opportunity for people of color to excel uh, in the world, in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And there's no intentionality without reflection. So then we come back to the hard work we've been talking about throughout the Full podcast. Right. Um, what do you think, having been in the ministry for years... What do you think it will take to really substantively create those opportunities for the aspiring, not yet ministers of color or that are women or that might be, they might be same sex attracted now and they're in process, right? How do we realistically have you thought about or do you have any proposals for where to begin well i think we have to i don't know if i have any answers but i think we have to start shining the light we have to give people a microphone you know and that sounds really weird because you're afraid of what people are going to say you know what if they're not ready well we're trusting that god will get them ready this is part of their process but i believe that until we call them to speak they're not going to speak. 
I'm, I, I say that because as a woman in the ministry, we had an opportunity to speak, but this is very rare. It's very rare. The husband speaks. That's awesome. And therefore you kind of lose your voice. You stand behind and I am all for my husband. He is the greatest man in the world. He has made me who I am today. Yeah. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. Okay. But at the same time, God has given us voices. And I believe that is the call is to be secure enough as the old leaders, quote unquote, to allow space for the young leaders or to allow space for the different leaders, the different voices. And let's let God weed out what needs to be weeded out. Mm. Yeah, that's that could be terrifying for some. It could be an adventure for others, and it could be yeah. right on time for others. You know, we all yeah. have a different level of comfort for that. And you said, you know, let's give the microphone to the young um, and the quote-unquote different, meaning, yeah. let's say, maybe the non-white preacher or the um, the younger evangelist or the guy that may not be leading a small group discussion, but has had many true and valid experiences. Right. Um, yeah. And we have tried to do this uh, in the Denver church with our diversity team. It's been up and running officially for about four years, but it it's all coming out of pain that was left unlistened to or ministered for years. And so right. in serving on that group, I just was so honored to sit there and receive the stories and realize, wow, it is such a different experience to be a person of color in our fellowship of churches. And then it was like, wait a second. It's not like our fellowship of churches is unique. (laughs) This is such a worldwide phenomenon. And I guess I would ask you to kind of end with or think about here as we come towards the end BJ, what do you think, how does heaven figure into this? How does knowing it's all going to be set right and that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, how do you bring that into your day-to-day, your ministry? Um, How do you keep hope alive when you just see so, on the news, it is pervasive, systems of power seem to never be able to be disrupted and um how do you how do you process your faith and your current reality and the right. larger reality that surrounds you right how do you in essence we're closing with how do you live well knowing what you know and seeing what you see you know i i bring it all back around almost again full circle nothing we go through is ever wasted and if mm-hmm. that's true for me that's true for everyone so I can look at COVID-19. I can look at the craziness of politics. I can look at uh, the crazy racial out. I can look at all of that and go, nothing is ever wasted. God is doing something. I may not understand it. I may not like it, but God is doing something. And again, if he's doing it with me, I'm not special. I'm special to him, but I'm not a special case. He's doing it with everyone. Mm. So that allows me to put my head on the pillow at night and be okay with it. I had shared with someone in the midst of the whole George Floyd and all that. I said, you know what? It's not 
I'm not rejoicing that God is using my people to make the statement because that means I feel a lot of pain. But I'm rejoicing that God is making a statement. What do you think he was saying there? What was God in your interpretation saying with all that George Floyd controversy and just the horribleness of the whole act and all that followed? Well, I, I think we have lost sight of loving each other, mm. to, to put it simply, you know, and we play God in our own lives. I call it, we play God with a little G <laughs> in which we mm. think we think we know, we think we have all the answers. And I think God shined a bright light showing that left to our own devices, we would destroy each other. And it calls us, beckons us to fall on our knees and cry out to something greater than ourselves. Sure does. I, I don't know. What else? What's your other choice? If there is no God, yeah. if you're not believing in God, what what do you think people that don't believe in God do when they see all that, especially people of color? Yeah. What if their faith is so hurt right now? They look at the George Floyd incidents, which is not uncommon. It's far too common. What are you hearing from people that look like you? That How do they interpret all that when they don't have God in their life? Well, you get stuck in bitterness and anger. And then the cycle just repeats itself. I'm bitter and I'm angry. And then if I'm talking to someone who looks like you, I'm spewing bitter and anger. And then someone like you gets defensive and pushed back. So you just see the cycle just keeps repeating. And again, I think it comes down to, it warrants each of us standing in our oneness alignment with God. If we're going mm -hmm. to change it, we have to stand in that. I have to be able to stand bitter and angry but yet feeling that and going through that until I'm at one with God. And you have to be able to stand defensive and frustrated until you're at one with God. And then the two, the gods in both of us can meet one another. There we go. God in each of us standing in our oneness. What a great and beautiful image. Uh, BJ, thanks so much for just spending time with me just being willing to share your story and uh, for writing your book and being so vulnerable and real. Yeah. I Thank think you. vulnerability breeds vulnerability. Heart right. speaks to heart. Right. Whether they're kids in transition, just look at you and you know exactly what they need. Yeah. Or Ray Roski hooks us up and I read your book and I go, wow, <laughs> that chives with a lot of what I've heard from my other brothers and sisters that are black, right. Latino, um, and yet you're so unique. You just have such great uh, little nuggets of wisdom that I just spent, uh, let's see, like about <laughs> one, two, three, four pages. I don't know what the nugget count is at, uh, but thank you so much for coming on the show, BJ, and I wonder if after you've been able to promote the book a little more, what mm -hmm. the reaction is, I would love to have you back on the show to like get an update or awesome. just hear more stories of impact. Well, I hope to. I hope that's my, my dream, my prayer, is that there is a rebound in all of us. Whether we, think, whether we think we're going through something or not, if you do the work, you'll find there's some area of your life that you're shut down in, and there's yeah. a rebound in all of us. Wow. Good times. Thank you so much, BJ, for being on You're the show. You're welcome, Michael. My pleasure. 
Well, that's going to wrap it up for this week, everybody. Thank you so much for your time. Always, I say thank you for joining me. It has been a pleasure to hear testimony shared this week, and we will be back next week for another incredible life story. Please check out my website, enoughasyouare.com. You can find all my books and all of my writings there. I appreciate again your time. I pray that God will be with you. And until next week, be on the lookout for the hand of God. Go ahead, Dave. Play us out.